0: Welcome to Getting Curious, I'm Jonathan Van and every week I sit down for a 40-minute conversation with a brilliant person to learn all about something that makes me curious. On today's episode, I'm joined by Wendy Davis, a former state senator from the state of Texas, where I ask her, how are you going to flip Texas' 21st Congressional District blue in 2020? If Wendy Davis rings a bell for you, she was a former state senator from Texas who successfully performed a gorgeous filibuster, an incredible story uh, that we're going to get into now. So without any further ado, here we go with Wendy Davis. Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm so excited to uh, introduce our guest. I'm just going to jump right in. Senator Wendy Davis from Texas. You, if you are like, you're like, why do you're like? I can't think of that as being one of the one of the two senators from Texas. That's because she's a state senator, was a state senator, and you may remember her from doing one of the most epic filibusters to help saved. Save people's right to reproductive health care in Texas. That's right. Hi, Jonathan. Hi. Welcome to Austin, Texas.
1: Uh, thank you so much and for having me. And please call me, me Wendy. Okay, uh,
0: okay, okay, okay. I have a, as everyone will probably know, I have a hard time calling people who I respect by their first names when they are senators or have been senators because I feel, you know what? I've always loved a title. I love <laughs> PhD, Miss Universe. That's so funny. Like I lo- a cheerleader. Like I love like a title. So I feel like, you know, you work so hard to get that title. and But you know, it's soon to be congressperson, David. I certainly hope so. yes. So let's hear a little bit about that. So like what his so the filibuster was in 2013. 2013, you were state senator at the time. Yes. And then since then you have been busy defending Texas from all sorts of stuff. Trying. Trying. And now though but so for the election next year Election 2020, you're running to? I'm running to defeat Chip Roy. He is
1: Ted Cruz's former chief of staff. He's in his freshman term. It's Congressional District 21. And this district is one that is in play um, because it's been getting bluer and bluer over time. It's like so many of those districts in Virginia that flipped uh, a few weeks ago in their election. The suburban and the urban populations here are starting to overwhelm the rural vote and that means it has an opportunity to to flip. And last cycle he won it by only two and a half points. Oh. And it really put this on the map and we really do believe it's gonna turn this time. Was that twenty sixteen? That was or, in 2018. So,
0: yeah, are some congressional seats only for two years, or was he a special appointment or something?
1: The Congressional, the U.S. House seats are only two years, and the U.S. Senate seats are six years. And they run staggered, and so you really never know, you know, which Senate seat is going to be up when. Um, but the Congressional, the House seats are up every two years. So...
0: AOC will have to, like, That's rerun right. in next year. Yes,
1: I don't think she's going to have a bit of a problem. I don't think she will either, <laughs> but I
0: don't think a lot of people realize that congressional yes. seats are, are for every single Congress. So, like, Nancy Pelosi has to be in every two yes. years. Yes, I did not
1: know that. Yes, it's brutal for, for people who are elected and who are constantly
0: then campaigning to be re-elected. Yes. I thought it was every four years. I wonder if there is... I wonder if that leads to any dysfunction within the House because it's just always changing, but I guess also constitutionally it kind of needs to to like represent like the shifting body of people that it represents.
1: Yeah, when I was in the Texas Senate our terms were four years. And I thought that was perfect because the problem with every two years is if you're constantly having to fundraise because your election is right around the corner as soon as you win, then it distracts from your ability really to be throwing yourself full-throated into doing the work that people elected you to do. And it means you've got to be on the phones constantly trying to raise money for the very next election that's coming around the corner. Um, So I wish they were four years. But they're not. Um, The good news about that for democracy is it gives voters an opportunity every two years instead of every four years to determine who's going to serve them. And we hope they're going to decide it will be me in District 21.
0: I really... It better be. Texas, come on. Um, but I think, you know, the fact that the chip is his name. Yes. Yeah, I think the fact that he won by two and a half points. And also, I do think that there is a because of the way that the economy is going and because of the way that like the, the gap between the middle class and like the well, there just isn't a middle class. And so I think because of that, so many people that were living in, you know, coastal towns are a lot of times like moving back home. Yes. Or there is just people that are trying to find a new place to live that like has a lower cost of living. Yes. So I think because of that, we're seeing this kind of purple official purpleification if you will no question of like Georgia Arizona, Texas and we're seeing that more and more and so hopefully 2020 will you know continue to lead us down that path. but I wanted to ask you about I mean I gotta ask you about filibusters yes and what are they? What's a filibuster? (laughs)
1: That's such a good question. They're different in Texas than they are in the U.S. Senate. In the U.S. Senate, a filibuster can happen at any time um, that a bill is up for a vote. And basically, it's an opportunity for a senator to talk a bill um, for hours and hours and hours and try to forestall a vote being taken. In Texas, you can only filibuster a bill, meaning you talk for hours on a bill. Um, You can only do that if you're on the very end of a legislative session. And you're trying to run out the clock. So in Texas, um, every legislative session ends um, almost six months after it starts. And we only meet every two years. And we have literally the clock strikes midnight and the session is over on the last day.
0: Wait, so the state Senate of Texas only meets every two years?
1: Every two years for six months, essentially, from January through like, mid-May.
0: So and then for mid-May through December...
1: And then the whole next year, no legislative session. Thank God, most people say.
0: (laughs) But so how does that work for like the laws of Texas? If like, so that means means every other year, things just have to wait. Is that how it is in every state or is that specific to Texas? Some
1: states, but very few. Texas is one of the few. Yes.
0: Do we know why that is? Is that like a...
1: You know, I think the idea always was that if you were elected to serve in Texas, that you were also going to have this other full-time job somewhere, right? And so, this was supposed to be a part-time legislature. And the problem with that, of course, is that it does become a full-time job. Even when you're not in session, you're working so hard uh, for your constituents and in preparation for the next session, and of course, trying to raise your money for re-election. And the bad part of it is that in Texas, people aren't paid to serve. And so what that means is that if you have the full-time job now of being in the legislature, even though it was meant to be a part-time job, if you don't have financial resources, you can't serve. So it's like and people are so, making
0: bad deals behind the scenes. Yeah,
1: it just means that you're cutting out a whole group of people from being able to be in these decision-making bodies whose experiences need to be there, right? Um, people who are working for a living and who are the ones who are facing the real struggles that need solutions. Solutions, but they can't be in a legislative body because they can't afford to be there. It so also it's seems really like it's a
0: good way for corruption. Like if Indeed. you can't work, it's like then you're Absolutely. basically just like a free agent for a lot of like big interests to come in and kind of like buy you off.
1: No question whatsoever. Now we did
0: look into your voting record, honey, and it's yes. gorgeous. It's so you. good. You were just like, <laughs> you are so... you just, you didn't get paid. You're so good. Congratulations. So, but basically, I think another thing that I just want to kind of echo back and just point out, it's like, so state laws that govern sessions, filibusters, all things legislation, it is really different state to state.
1: Absolutely different state to state. And so back to the filibuster in Texas, um, what that means is you you're trying to run a bill out to the end of the clock on the last day of a session. Um, And it may be that that, bill comes up very early in the day. And so you've got to talk the entire rest of the day, right? For me, um, the bill that I was filibustering came up at eleven eleven 11am. Um, and that meant that I had 13 hours um, that I had to talk to try to get to the midnight deadline. The rules in Texas are very severe. You cannot have a sip of water, you cannot lean on your desk, you cannot have a hard candy or a piece of food, and you cannot leave the floor to go to the Do you put your
0: hands on like the little desk thing?
1: Not if you're leaning. So you just, you have to be careful not to do it or you're going to get called out, right? Um, And so you have to come really prepared. The way I prepared was at about six o'clock in the morning, the day of my filibuster, a doctor came over and inserted a catheter um, that I had strapped to my leg. Um, That's why I had that long dress on and that long blue coat, uh, because I was, you know, trying to hide the fact that I had a catheter bag on my leg. Um, Now, one thing
0: really quick. Yes. What was the bill you were filibustering?
1: What this bill would have done, it had multiple provisions in it. In our state of 28 million people, it was centered around trying to close all or as many of the abortion clinics that operate in Texas as possible. We currently have 42. It would have taken to a, us to five. And what that would mean is that people all over our state would no longer have the opportunity to access their legal right to abortion.
0: And this is like that, like, because the newer trend on abortion legislation that's aimed at closing Planned Parenthood is like the heartbeat bills that we're seeing being passed. Yes. This spate of them was like more about like the admitting privileges and like the hall Size exactly, and, like, and things that like national doctors associations are like this is ridiculous. This is like very like one of the safest like outpatient procedures you can do. Like you do not need 100%. to have like eighteen wide hall or eighteen foot wide hallways. Like right. this is blatant trying to control people's rights and access to healthcare, or to reproductive healthcare, like, clear and simple. That's but right. But I think those were all defeated, thank God, like, through the court system, but in your case, we're going back to the filibuster, because that would have created a situation where it could have gone from 42 to 5 before the courts would have had a chance to catch up with this legislation had it gone into effect.
1: That's right. And and sadly, even though we did defeat the bill that day, um, and that in and of itself was quite something. And let's
0: go back, to yeah, So I think that's a good opportunity to go back to the story because yeah. if you haven't seen this story, if you have not seen, I mean, I think I've seen like 18 different documentaries like on it <laughs> and like series on it because you, you know, were and are such an inspiration to the cause and to people everywhere because that was such an example of democracy doing its job and doing the work for the people, which i am just like getting chills talking about it because you came up with a strength that I don't think I've seen that since. Thank and, you. And in and, 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 and one you know, epic sitting or standing, you know, I don't think we've seen a feat of strength like that since.
1: What was great about it here in our state was that we're a state where when things like that happen, we tend to give up before we even start, right? Like the deck is so stacked. And we are a majority Republican legislature with a Republican governor. And it's been that way for a long time. But for whatever reason, on that day, people who woke up in the morning eating their cold cereal, no intention of coming to the Texas Capitol, they started hearing, about it on social media the power of social media right Um, and they just started showing up and before long thousands of people were in the Texas capital our capital is the biggest in the country of course Texas Um, and It was the first time in the history that it had to be closed because it filled to capacity and still people came. And so, what was beautiful about it was that at the end of the night, we all felt like we were in this together. I knew that I wasn't standing there by myself. I had no idea what was happening on social media, but I knew that people were with me in the Capitol. And in the last 15 minutes before midnight, after a lot of breaking of procedural rules, the filibuster was called to an end. And the People who were there rose in the Senate gallery and started screaming with all their might.
0: Because, because like you get like three call outs or something. Exactly. Actually, my producer told me that we had to take a break like four minutes ago but I didn't want to interrupt the story but now since I interrupted it naturally anyway because I have more <laughs> questions because I didn't want to breeze through it so quickly I will just take this break and I'm going to make you guys listen to these two commercials and then come back and listen to the, I, don't, I didn't mean to say it like that like please listen to these two commercials and thanks so much for listening we'll be right back with more Senator Wendy Davis who's about to be Congressperson Wendy Davis uh, right after the break hey hey,
1: hey. hey.
0: Welcome back to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. So, there are, when you do the filibuster protects us rules, like, you get, like, three of these call-out things, correct? Right. And that means if you're leaning... If you yes, realize you had a you, piece of gum or something. you wander
1: off topic, you have to stay on topic. Um, and they called me out for the most ridiculous things. Um, one was that my back started hurting, like, I don't know, five hours in. And one of my Senate colleagues helped put a back brace on me. And there's a rule that you cannot be assisted in a filibuster by a fellow senator. And what that means is you've got to do it by yourself. Like, you can't just give someone the floor for an hour and let them talk, right? right? And they interpret that rule to mean that he was "quote unquote" assisting a fellow senator when he was helping me to buckle the back brace, um, and then they called me out on talking about the history of abortion rights in Texas and reproductive rights writ large. They t- called me out as if those things somehow were not germane to the topic that we were talking about. So they were just looking for ways. They were bound and determined. They were going to end the filibuster, deny us the right to do what so many others had been able to to do in Texas, Um, and what was so beautiful about it was that in that moment, when the filibuster was called to an
0: end... Because why? Why did they call it to an end? We got to the
1: third strike, and then we debated it for about an hour and a half, whether that had been a correct ruling, and my fellow senators, particularly Senator Kirk Watson, who who is here um, in the Austin area, he just masterfully used the clock, you know, arguing the procedural points of order over and over and over again. Um, And ultimately, we got to a final decision on it 15 minutes before midnight, and the chair ruled, the filibuster is over, and the people who had been sitting there so respectfully... Meaning that you didn't get to finish it? I didn't get to finish. And we thought it was over. We thought the bill was going to get voted on after all this, right? And then the people Rose, they started screaming in the Senate gallery and then up and down the hallway and every level of the rotunda and outside on the Capitol lawn. And they created so much chaos that we got it Passed the midnight deadline before the final vote was taken it was amazing <laughs> the secretary of the senate was like actually calling out people's names for the vote and we were voting and the clock was ticking and we were watching it the big hand go past the 12 and sure enough 1203 was when the last vote came in and, and you and couldn't so and he, so it was, and it. it was null and we void
0: it was null and void oh my
1: It was a beautiful moment in democracy, just to remind us that when we show up, right, I'm sure the people who came that day had no idea that they were going to do something that magical, right? That they were actually going to participate in a way that was going to make a difference. And I feel like it infected us in the most beautiful way in Texas with the understanding that, yes, these fights are worth waging, and yes, the deck is stacked, but we have power if we will stand up and use it. And so, I'm proud of what I was able to do that day, but I'm mostly proud of the fact that it really was a group effort. And it was such a, a beautiful example of what we can all achieve if we just put our minds and our hearts and our bodies forward to help make it happen.
0: And really, like, it's a story of protest. Yes. I mean, in the moment, protest. Like, I don't care if I lose the money from work that day. Like, I'm, giving, right. I'm going to work. Like, people I'm got gonna arrested. Go. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so it's, people have to go. So it's like, and and so I'm just struck by how much has changed since 2013, Obviously, who would have thought we were going to elect like a you know host of The Apprentice who never even won an Emmy to be the president of the United States? Who would have known that that president would, or who would have known that in 2015 we would have Mitch fucking McConnell like oh, Stonewall Merrick Garland for an entire year? We now do have like the you know fanatical right wing religious f- smaller percentage of Americans like in. Control, like, really endangering, like, Roe v. Wade. I mean, we have several cases that could, I mean, they're, like, being heard. That's right. So it's like, I don't think anyone could have predicted the Merrick Garland (coughs) thing. No one could have predicted Donald Trump. And then, you know, Kavanaugh, Gorsuch. And now, like, Roe v. Wade really does have... It is in unprecedented peril. I think now with things like in the Virginia House of Delegates, like with Danica Rome, and we have the two thousand eighteen midterm elections, and then more recently we have like the state house of Virginia and their state Senate like flipping, which is incredible. It's amazing. We do have groundswell, but you do see that these like abortion laws are getting like more draconian and scarier, and more like straight to they the are. point, and um, they're more pervasive and spreading all over. And so the demonization of people who seek reproductive health care, because really abortion is not a new topic. Like people have been seeking abortions for hundreds of years that's right. in all sorts of different ways, and they always will. It is like because that's right, and so it's like we can either have young people you know, really experiencing horrific deaths and traumas from like having abortion be illegal, or we can keep it legal and keep it fully accessible as it is guaranteed in the constitution and like keep it like that forever. But the GOP seems really intent on, you know, not wanting that to be the case. And so as a Texan and as someone who's like running for office, what do you see as, because it's like people get so upset. I was just talking about this after getting to interview senator warren it's like people get so upset about presidential policies but but look at what donald trump's presidential policies have been and look at how slowly they were able to be enacted because of the checks and balances that are for or that our founding fathers like that's so right. i mean we would have had the muslim ban like in its entirety without those that's his, right i mean he was forced to like kind of change it and it still is like very clearly a muslim ban and it's in my opinion is very clearly like unconstitutional but if he would have had his druthers that would have gone into effect full stop right that's away that's right the affordable care act would have gone out the window full stop right away and so no president's policies can be enacted unilaterally we have Mm -hmm. to get the senate and we have to get congress that's right and more directly especially for southern states you must capture your state legislatures because that provides the most protection for like you within your borders well and i think that's Mm -hmm. and i don't and you know i think we i think the biggest fault of democrats over the last 15 years 16 years has been the the refusal to educate our constituents on how things work. Yeah. And and the refusal to answer questions. Like, legislation, at the end of the day is negotiation. One right. side wants to do one thing, the other That's side right. wants to do that. And when you're negotiating, one side is always going to come in with its highest wants and they're going to come right. in hot and then you're going to settle somewhere underneath that. So it's like people don't understand. So this this pushback that Elizabeth Warren is having right now on, on saying like, you're not going to seek Medicare for all until the third year and like you're talking out of both sides of your mouth and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, she's being prepared in both events. If she gets yeah. a super majority in some freak occasion right. in the Senate and Congress, she has plans for both. You know, one that w- involves executive executive action plus legislation or one that's like m- could be with legislation all together. But it's like the chances of us getting like retaining the house and getting a super majority in the Senate or like, but people probably thought the chance of you doing that filibuster <laughs> were probably soon to none too. And look at what you did. So it's like the power of democracy, right? Yeah.
1: You're so right. I mean, I love what you're touching on here because it's about our three branches of government. Right. And you know, I, I, Learn this. I remember when I was in elementary school about the legislative branch and the executive branch and the judicial branch. Right. And what has really held our country together over time and what is so beautiful about our constitutional um parameters that have held us together, is that those branches have balanced each other. We're in danger right now, though, of that balance. And the reason is that for the first time, we have a Congress whose party is the same as the president that is literally willing to lead, to follow him off the edge of a cliff. They, they've set aside what is important for the country and they've set aside our constitutional principles and values to follow him off that cliff. That means they're not balancing him anymore. Um, and unless we can um, hold that majority in the U.S. House, and hopefully gain a majority in the U.S. Senate and stop Mitch McConnell from the evilness that he is up to, um, we're going to continue to see that, right? And so then that leaves the courts. And that's where I, as a a trained lawyer, find myself feeling most worried right now. Yes, lawyer. Yes, because not only do we have the Supreme Court comprised of people who are also willing to go off that cliff, it seems, um, but Donald Trump has put more people on federal on the federal bench of any president, yeah. maybe ever. I don't this know. Is what I may are be really speaking sleeping. out of know, turn when I say that, but
0: it's really high.
1: It's extremely high.
0: And circuit courts are plenty. He, he I was just reading. He's like he's just flipped one of the circuit courts.
1: Yes, yes. Like, and that is so dangerous. But that's so scary because, because the they balance shouldn't be so partisan.
0: No, they shouldn't. Like because I feel like Obama. All. I've never remembered like that's These right. judges are. so so partisan so, and underqualified. That's right. what's like that National Bar Association? Like, are, there's like some national... The association- Heritage Foundation is
1: funneling all these people to the Trump administration. But there's that one saying, association that
0: it keeps saying that like these people aren't ready. It's like this association oh, yes, that always yes, vets. Yes, the American
1: Bar Association yeah, is saying and, like, that. These that's people right. don't
0: have the experience. And it's like the third one. And it's like that. that's, that's right. unprecedented. We've never had a president put forward so many people that were like not vetted.
1: Yeah, their, their vetting is a litmus test. And the litmus test is that they have to be extreme right um, folks who are bound and determined to take some of our civil um, and other rights away that the history of the Supreme Court has put in place for us over time in this country. And so we all have to be so worried about that. And that's why we have got to regain the presidency. And we've got to regain the house and the senate at the u.s level because we're, we're not going to be able to write that balance if we don't all three branches are starting to coalesce in a way that is really dangerous for us and that's really one of the reasons i wanted to step forward and run right so I now have,
0: i have like a candid question and if it is like if we can really like literally cut it the fuck out, but I am like, this is what I'm concerned about. And this is like what I like, this is like what my eye is on. How are we going to unify our party? Because the centrist. I worry about that too. And the, the, because I I ended up endorsing Elizabeth Warren. I totally stand behind her. I I believe that she is the next president. I love her policies, even the wealth tax. And I think, you know, for wall street and for so many people, like there are things that just, you know, really scare them. I think there's certain things that are said that, like, let's focus on things that are, like, really doable that we should really, like, be spending, like, all of our time on. Like, that's what people really want to talk about. Like, I feel like that particular point is, like, was, like, does he have a history that is super questionable? Absolutely. Like... I don't think he's prepared to be a Supreme court justice either, but the Senate confirmed him. Right. And are we really going to like, yeah. we have a president who's like currently abusing power and Ruth, ba- Ruth Bader Ginsburg said that like all of his like f- staff is like mostly female. He's voted against the president a couple times. And so is Gorsuch. Yeah. They have actually both voted kind of against like the white house interest, like a couple times. So I kind of have my fingers crossed for this financial records thing. Kind of. Um, if that feels really crazy, I just said that Julie. We could totally probably edit that out, but it's just like my like literal like thought sometimes. So yeah, but it's like, what are we going to do? Because it's like, I I think it's like I had um I had uh, Alicia Garza who was one of the original found- yes, founders of Black Lives Matter. I love her too, and she was really kind of like really letting me know about some of the internal workings of like some of the racism that is like goes on in the democratic party and, and about like really following the money. And it's like a lot of state legislatures, like don't empower their black caucuses with like, with their fair share of the amount of money. And we don't really invest in Mm -hmm. people of color the way right. and and we just assume that, that they're going, that people of color are going to turn out for Democrats. And it's like, you and so one thing that I've been thinking about a lot lately is if we're going to, you know, get the Equality Act passed and attach that to that civil rights legislation, I feel like as a platform, as a party, we need to be talking. And that's one thing that Elizabeth Warren just did in Atlanta, which I thought is so great. It's like, just, we need to talk about, talk about privilege and talk right. about like what this country was really built on so that,
1: 100%. because we have
0: to show up for, like, no one's free until we're all free. That's and there's right. so much racism and there's so much transphobia. That's so there's right. like, All white people really need to be like showing up for every oppressed community right now. Yes. Much like what happened the day that your filibuster passed. So I believe that on one side. But then on this other side, it's like sometimes progressives are like really, 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 really like we struggle with perfectionism, you know? And so, and I've experienced that firsthand on Twitter with. People on Twitter who, honestly, the more I look at it, I really do think that they might be Russian bots because they are <laughs> always from Great Britain and they're always likely. like really mean. Oh my god, we have to take a really quick break. We're gonna be right back with more Getting Curious right after this. Hey. Welcome back to Getting Curious with Senator Wendy Davis. <laughs> Get it out. Do you need to have some water? Cough it out. But yeah, I mean, it's like, so what are your. Constituents saying I mean Like your Future constituents I'm hoping And I Actually I'm not hoping I know that they will be So it's fierce Thank you But it's like You're on the ground You're campaigning Like you live in Texas It's like It is You know in the middle south of the country, but, you know, central yeah. as, as far as, like, east to west. So it's like, what are people saying here? Like, are people, like, do we feel like this was an impeachable offense? Do we feel like, uh, are we hearing a lot of Elizabeth and Bernie? Are we hearing a lot of Pete? Are we hearing, like, really, what are what people hearing Really what we're hearing,
1: hearing is, I, I feel like because Texas has been such um, a challenge for people of our progressive values, we are more accustomed to coalescing behind our candidate, right? Like it we we know that we cannot be our own worst enemy here. We've got to come behind the people who come through these primaries and work for them with everything we've got. And I am definitely going to do that no matter whom our Democratic nominee for president is. We cannot give up. As the saying goes, uh, the good for the perfect, right? And um Wait, what is that saying? What is that saying? It's there's a saying about there's a saying about the perfect for the good, like you you can't um, give up the perfect for the good. I can't remember. I think I'm no, saying No, but I what you're saying. It's like, it's like you can't... We, we can't strive for perfection and then decide when we don't get it that we're going to take our ball and go home, yes. right? Um, and so we, we need to be mindful of that. But what people are talking about here, and I've been traveling all over my district, hosting listening sessions, meeting with people one-on-one, small groups, larger groups. There are three main issues that rise to the top. People are really concerned about health care in Texas. And we're concerned about it everywhere, justifiably. But in our state, we have the highest percentage of uninsured people, the highest percentage of uninsured women, the highest percentage of uninsured children. We have more than double the rate, almost double the rate, of uninsured people of any other state in the country. And we're the only state that has double-digit numbers for uninsured children. Why is that? And it's something to be so concerned about, mostly because when the Affordable Care Act was enacted, and most states, even Republican-led states, decided that it made sense to bring their tax dollars back home and expand Medicaid and allow more working people to be covered. Medicaid covers working people. More working people to be covered, that meant they vastly helped to cut the number of uninsured people in their state, not Texas. And that's why we still have what we have. And the consequence of that, we have one of the highest rates of maternal mortality, not just in the country, but the entire developed world, three times as bad for black women than white women in our state and elsewhere. Um, and because we have so many uninsured children, we have a real problem with infant mortality. Um, and all of the challenges that families face when they can't access health care. right? I believe as so many people do, it's it's a basic human right and we've got to do everything we can to make sure that we're providing it. That is top of heart and top of mind for people here in our state. So no matter where I am, that issue comes up, it will be my number one, um, So do you believe in like a Medicare
0: for all sort of plan? I believe
1: in any plan we can get to speaking of the perfect and the good, any plan that we can get to that is going to give every single person healthcare and whether that means transitioning, um, Whatever it means. If people want to keep their health insurance, let them keep their health insurance. But let's have Medicare for everybody else, right? Let's just do everything we can as quickly as we can to get everyone insured.
0: if If the Medicare for all was like really like slaying it after a couple of years, then the other people might be like, I think I want that.
1: Yes. Well, you know, that's what should have happened the afford- under the Affordable Care Act. We should have had um, a public option. And that competitive force in the marketplace not only would have driven down the cost of insurance in the private marketplace, but it probably could have developed into such a good system that people would choose to leave their private health insurance to join the public option. And the fact that that wasn't actually finally instituted in the last version of the Affordable Care Act that was passed. And by the way, we had a majority of Democrats in the House and the Senate, and we couldn't get our Democrats to make that happen. Um, it was and really the, a, a it, disappointment.
0: Because didn't the or the Affordable Care Act didn't get passed until...
1: It was in Obama's very first term. It was. When he had a... All three. F- a, a, he had all three chambers, right? He How had did we executive. not do that? Because we had some Democratic members who would not go for it.
0: Because they just thought it would be too expensive. They were too centrist. I'm really not sure what the forces
1: were. Um, all I know is we didn't get it, and so here we are, right? And so the very first, like, most I mean, important thing A, we got, damn it! Do. Exactly. And in 2010,
0: for fuck's sake, do you know what year did you win your senate your senate election? I won for? in
1: 08. I was on the ballot with President Obama in 08. So in 2010,
0: I learned from Sister District episode of Getting Curious, we had the largest loss of state-held seats that's right we lost over a thousand state-held seats that election 2010 Terrible. the ushering in of the tea party and it's like i think in 2008 i was turning 21 and doing a bunch of hair and i just like wasn't paying attention like i voted for barack obama but i didn't know about any of these state i didn't know what state legislature was and i think that's part of what i was saying like my criticism for democratic leaders is is that like the fact that as someone who's been reading the news like i've come from a journalist family like I never knew that. In 2010, I had no clue that was going on. Like, I knew that, like, I needed health insurance, and I knew that it was like, I, I knew things, but I didn't really, I didn't know that there was like a, an eroding away of like thing Because I just thought, like, Brock was the president. Thought we were like right. slaying it, <clears throat> and yeah. really, like behind the scenes, we were kind of all a little bit getting lulled into this, like complacent. Also, yes,
1: we were complacent, and yes. so,
0: so basically, healthcare is the first thing that you're hearing from your constituents. Yes. Second is
1: second is. Concerns, not only about the long term health of our environment, but the short term as well. And when I say short and long, long term, obviously, because we understand we're on this precipice, right? We're, we're at the point of no return. And if people in my generation and your generation aren't stepping forward and saying, we are going to do what needs to be done to stop this, my granddaughters, who are three years old and one years old, are going to inherit a planet that we failed to do our job to make sure was sustainable for them. That's the long term vision and concern that people have. But shorter term, under President Trump, the EPA, the unwinding of administrative environmental protections has been mind boggling. I I cannot even I cannot overstate it. Um, and it has left us with so little protection for the pollution that we breathe, and the the problem with the contamination of our water. And I heard your episode with Aaron Brockovich, which was amazing. We are finding ourselves in this very urgent situation right now in today with the air we're breathing and the water that we're drinking. And so we've what are got the to of take that, that these- we're finding
0: in Texas, like or like what are, are people like having like.
1: Well, what's happening in Texas is that in our beautiful Texas Hill Country, most of which is in Congressional District 21, the state has given over 900 permits to cement quarries without any recognition of the fact that when you have all of that activity going on um, and all the particulate matter that is going into the air as a consequence of it, that the cumulative impact of all of those quarries, maybe one of them, wouldn't create a big problem, right? But the cumulative impact, which the EPA is no longer requiring that we look at, that's not being studied anymore. And so the people who moved out there to be in pristine, beautiful hill country of Texas are finding themselves now inundated and having to worry about their kids and asthma. And if you look at the problem with asthma, not just in Texas, but all over the country, it is one of a a crippling part of our healthcare costs. And it's preventable, right? It's preventable if we were doing the right thing for our environment. And then that community also we have this huge pipeline. It's called the Kinder Morgan Pipeline cutting through the heart of the Hill Country, where the precious aquifer that filters our water, cleans the water, that serves the Hill Country, serves Austin, serves San Antonio. It's being threatened by that, right? And so when we don't have the kind of protections in place, and we don't have people fighting for those, we are literally creating our own worst nightmare. And we're the ones doing it looking the other way. Um, And so that's a big concern for people. And then the third thing that people are so upset about, as you know, in Texas, more than any other state, we have been a place where we have endured mass shootings, Um, churches, shopping centers, schools, parks. We feel, we mamas and grandmamas, that our babies can't go anywhere and be safe anymore. And we're so upset at the cravenness of the Republican Party and their allegiance to the NRA versus their allegiance to our kids. So moms and grandmoms and dads and granddads, you know, we're, we're just done with that. Right. We're over it. And, and it's not just that it's and not everyone, just, I mean, yes, like the LGBTQ yes, plus yes, people, yes, like yes. Africa, but it's like everyone, like I, I feel like, 100%. I mean,
0: every time I come to anywhere, like I'm security is like the number one thing I stress about everywhere I go. It is, I mean, we do live in a country where you are not guaranteed your safety because of the Second Amendment. I mean, you just aren't. And and I also I, I'm still looking for like a constitutional scholar so that we can really like break down because it's yeah. like I don't think that's, that's what the a second. Good, curious. Because I don't think that that's have. what it says. It's about protecting. It's about us having the right to bear arms and it not being infringed upon to maintain a militia against an oppressive like government. It's not so we could go to like the mall and like kill everybody. Like that's not what they meant. It was like so you could like shoot bears and stuff. It was like seventeen fucking seventy six for yeah. crying out loud. Yeah, you couldn't even shoot someone if you aimed it right at them, like twenty feet away half the time, because it was seventeen seventy fucking six. So anyway, yeah, yes.
1: I and, and you know it's not <clears throat> it's not just the fact that we all have to feel the vulnerability to that. It's that our kids are having to learn to feel that vulnerability at a really young age. I had a mom who told me a story the other day that just is heartbreaking. It was in Dallas. Um, It was someone who I was trying to help run in a state house race there and she told a story about when the tornadoes came through. You're
0: such a good party leader oh, doing you. that. I love that. <laughs> it's really you. good anyways. Keep <laughs> thank you. you. Again. <laughs>
1: but when the tornadoes came through Dallas um, a few weeks ago, she, her husband, seven year old daughter, five year old son are hiding in the bathroom as we are taught to do here in Tornado Alley and her seven year old was scared and so was talking a lot, nervously and her five-year-old son said, please be quiet, he'll hear us. And he'll shoot us because her son had just learned in school that day about an active shooting drill. And so our kids, teachers are telling me that children are having to leave school for mental health supports. Moms are telling me that their kids are having these anxiety, stomach aches. They don't want to go to school. We've had to teach them to be afraid, right? And when things like that are happening, and we see this happening with our children, it, it, it- fires something up inside of us that says, we're, we're just not going to take this anymore, right? And, and I'm hearing that more and more and more from people. And none of these people are of a mind that we ought to take people's guns away from them or stop them from hunting. But people are of the mind that we ought to have common sense background
0: checks, yeah. right? <clears throat> it should <clears throat> be harder to get a gun to and have, drive a car.
1: Right. We ought to have red flag laws to keep people in domestic violence situations who have been proven to be a danger to someone else to not be able to have weapons in the house anymore. Um, you know, it just, it shouldn't be this hard. And I think people are just so fed up with it now. That's why it's rising to the level of conversation that I'm, I'm hearing out in this district. And I think people are hearing it in districts, not only all over the state, but all over the country.
0: What about immigration?
1: Oh, and yes, of course, immigration has been something that... Um, we are on the front lines of, of facing here in Texas. And, and you know, this is another one of those issues where in our communities, and I feel like Beto O'Rourke did such a beautiful job of talking about this, not only when he was running for president, but also when he was campaigning for U.S. Senate here, We know our border communities and we know how safe they are. We also know how very valuable the immigrant population is to our state and to our workforce and to our economy. Uh, This is who we are. This is part of our identity as a state. And to vilify people who are trying to be here, who want nothing more than to contribute to us, to give us their time, their talent, their energy, their heart, their passion, and to claim our country as their home and who want very much to become a citizen of our country to vilify them in the way that we have um, by planting fear in people's minds that somehow they are coming here to do us harm. And yes, of course, there are people who come across the border who ought not to be uh, coming and who are here with ill intent. But the vast majority of people that are being stopped right now at the border are families in desperate situations. And it's so heartbreaking. I think about this sometimes when I get in my bed at night and I'm pulling up my warm comforter. I think about those families that have been stopped on the other side of our border in the remain in Mexico policy now of the Trump administrations, living in shantytown tents, freezing without enough food and in danger where they actually are becoming victims of crimes on the other side of our border. When if we could bring them here and process them appropriately under the laws that have been our values post-World War II, our values of providing refuge for those who need it, we learned our lesson the hard way in that regard. We held that dear, right, that we provide asylum. It's just heartbreaking that we've abandoned the principles, not only of who we are as Americans, but who we are as Texans. Um, And so, I'm going to continue to fight um, as hard as I can to make sure that that perspective is given voice in this campaign, and that the fear-mongering that my opponent um, uses on this particular issue, and he does, is one that I'm going to fully address. So, I want to
0: talk... Two more closing <clears throat> questions. One. Sorry, I started, I'm getting so excited. Hell no, girl. Don't you ever apologize. I am obsessed. <laughs> One. I was asking, you know, what, when it comes to the presidency... And I was saying, like, how are we going to unite, you know, kind of both sides of our party to kind of come together to get out that, like, Obama-winning coalition? I do somehow think that, like, maybe that coalition, that exact electoral map, like, maybe it won't be that exact one. I think it might be—I think it might be end up being a different one if it's, like, progressive nominee, because it'll be more—I think it could be different. But I think it could win. But it's like, how are we going to unify people to do that? And what— In a few sentences, what do you... Because that's why I was asking, like, what are people saying here? Because it feels more central, feels more centrist-ish. Yeah. Compared to, like, you know, but maybe that's not really true anymore because maybe the roadmap is changing. And maybe there's, like, a lot of liberal... Because that's, like... Because you know how, like, sometimes people (laughs) are saying in Missouri that, like, Claire McCaskill for Senate in Missouri like she didn't go left enough like by playing down the middle she didn't like fire up any of the people in St. Louis or Kansas City that were really on the left I was in Kansas City during that election and I was talking about it a lot and that's what a lot of people on the ground said is they were like you know by playing it safe she didn't get people out of the house Mm. and the other guy was doing so so much fear mongering. I mean, there was commercials every two seconds about like, she's weak on this. She's weak Mm -hmm. on that. Why should she take private jets everywhere? She's not like a person of the people anymore. Like she's the, like just, it was really Mm -hmm. vilifying her in like every way where like male Republican senators, I'm sure take private planes all of the time. Like you think Mitch McConnell flies fucking get out of here. Very doubtful. So it's like, how do we, do we, play it safe with the center candidate for president? Or do we like really go for it?
1: You know, I, here's my feeling as a candidate. Um, and I'm speaking only for myself right now. When I ran for governor here in 2014, I decided that I really needed to listen to people who I thought understood all of this more than me, right? This was the biggest thing I'd ever done. How do I do this? It seems so hard. And I allowed myself to get what I call message managed, right? Like it had to, everything I said had to filter through 12 people before it came out of my mouth practically. Um, And when I stepped up to run this time, My advice to myself was be who you are. Be authentic. Fight for the things that really matter to you. Say what you care about. Say what you mean. And you know what? If you lose, great. You did it by going out there fighting for what you really care about and really believe in. I think that's what people look for. And maybe it means that we don't match up 100%. Fine. But Let's have someone other than Donald Trump in the White House please. And please let's all decide. Let's fight like hell for our primary candidate, right? Let's let's do everything we can to get them elected. But if they don't win, please don't be so discouraged that you withdraw because We are needed right now more than we have ever been needed in the history of this country. We are literally in danger of losing our small d democracy, literally in danger of it. And we've got to decide we're going to own our power to do something about it, even if it means the person who winds up as our Democratic nominee isn't the one we hoped it would be. We have to defeat Donald Trump
0: question 1b yes. and then two um would so if the texas primary was tomorrow not asking who you would vote for yeah you if if it was for your gerrymandered as <laughs> shit district that yes. you've been that you know because gerrymandering we didn't even get to talk to, to speak to but you are dealing with like this is a very gerrymandered Varing. state um but and this actually we can get there in a second because that's kind of part of the second question but if the primary was tomorrow you think like and it, actually not even like this you're your district, but just Texas in general. Yeah. Who do you think Texas is vibing on? If like Beto's not in the race, like, it, yeah, right. Who do you think Texas is vibing on?
1: You know, I really don't, no, I'm not trying to evade your question. No, 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 no. you don't I seem like really, an evasive person, Queen. I don't know. Um, I, I'm i getting the sense from people as I'm traveling the district that it's a lot of different candidates. I talk to a lot of people who are crazy about Elizabeth Warren, a lot of people who are crazy about Pete Buttigieg. You know? it, people love Julian, our Texan, left on the, the ballot thus far. Um you know I I don't know um, but I feel like people have more of a sense again because we've been going through some really rough decades here in Texas we're just so desperate to have a Democratic president we're so desperate to take back the Texas house and by the way if I can please say one word about that we only need nine more seats to finally regain the Texas house we flipped 12 seats in 2018 in more than half of of the seats that are in play. We have about 17 seats in play this time that are possibilities to win. Beto won nine of them, more than half of them. And so we can do this. And if we do, we will finally have a voice in redistricting. And if we have a voice in redistricting, it changes everything. everything. So please, when you're voting this time, if you're a Texan and you're listening to this, this is the first time that we are not going to have straight ticket voting in our state. Please don't just come and vote for your presidential nominee. Please vote for your Senate nominee. Please vote for your U.S. House nominee, and keep going down your ballot. Vote for your state senator. Vote for your state house member. Vote for
0: your school board members and city council
1: members, and who else Especially is on there? If you're just go down about your ballot. Yes.
0: Any of those three things that you just said, like what yes. your constituents taught to you about, your best way to protect yourself is by voting for the races closest to you. That's like exactly they affect right. you the most. Like they are the most important ones. So, so which brings true. me to my final question. Lucky you. <laughs> um your race, you are running in 2020 for the House of Representatives against Chip what's his face, who is his first freshman. He's his he's in his he's first a freshman. And he was uh uh,
1: he was Ted Cruz's chief yes, of staff. Yes. And he ran his super PAC before that.
0: Which means he also probably had a finger in that one really horrific like outtakes that John Oliver found that like from like that really like cringy campaign video. Do you ever see that?
1: I'm not sure what you're good laugh. About. When you need a
0: good laugh. John Oliver found like all these outtakes from one of his presidential campaigns and it's just like <laughs> hours and hours of footage of him like hugging his mom and then them being like no do it more warmly. And then he's like <laughs> Like that, it's really good and amazing. You should, it'll, oh. it, you'll puke in your mouth a little, bit, you'll laugh while you're doing it. So you're going around your area, you're meeting your future constituents, you're talking to the people of Texas. And what do you feel? I mean, immigration is something that Chip talks about a lot and, and yes. uses to really like whip up his base. And you know,
1: he he throws out those terms like so many. He's so Cruzian. He's so Krusian. Um He throws out terms like we we don't need. Um, any kind of Affordable Care Act or any any universal coverage that would come from the government level. We need freedom. We need health care freedom. And then he'll say, We don't need people who are retired to have Medicare. We need them to have freedom to choose whatever care they want blah 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 i mean that he's that guy so that mean right anything. he's he's that guy that believes that we should tear government apart limb from limb that we should not have government support for our schools or for healthcare or even honestly he believes in ter- destructing it so much that we wouldn't even have government run systems that are supporting some of the things that we do for our military it's It's really mind-boggling, and he votes against absolutely everything. He was the single guy, you may have heard about this uh, a couple of months ago, where there was a $19 billion disaster relief fund. It had been held up forever. It finally came out of the U.S. Senate. The full U.S. House was like, yeah, Go for it. Let's do it. He was the single guy. He managed to knock it off of basically what is a consent calendar. And so finally, it comes back later, three weeks later for a vote. He votes against it. And $4 billion of it was coming to Texas. He's one of three people. There was a in that Tax code that the Republicans passed a couple or two years ago, um, there was an inadvertent um, outcome for people who have lost loved ones who are serving this country, right? The fallen who have given the ultimate sacrifice. When their families are paid the death benefit, they were being taxed at a low rate and that tax code accidentally pulled them up into a more than 30% tax rate. When this was realized, everyone voted to fix it except three people in the U.S. House. Chip Roy was one of them. He's that guy that doesn't do anything that makes sense for the people who elected him to serve them. And because I'm a grandmother of a three-year-old and a one-year-old who live in this community, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that we replace him in 2020. So,
0: And also, as we have previously said, Nothing will get done unless we maintain control of the House and regain right. the Senate. So you have, this district has been in Republican controlled hands for how long?
1: 40 years. And we're going to finally break that cycle.
0: Well, I can't wait to see it happen. Texas Thank needs you. it. We all need it. I'm so Thank proud you, of Jonathan. you. I'm so proud of all the work you do and the inspiration that you are. And I just think you're so amazing. Thanks so much for Thank coming Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Benes. My guest this week was Wendy Davis. You'll find links to her work in the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Thank you so much to her for letting us use it. If you enjoyed our show, introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe, honey, because sometimes finding that podcast tab on your phone is confusing. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at CuriousJVN. Our socials are run and curated by Miss Emily Bosick. Getting Curious is produced by me, Julie Carrillo, Ray Ellis, Chelsea Jacobson, and Colin Anderson with special guest booking by Mary O'Hara.